Thank you. Thank you. It's fun to be here. And I asked uh, some co esteemed colleagues to give me some help on the reading because uh, I'm just recovering from a throat thing. And uh, so this is going to be very helpful. <laughs> You're all looking astonished. <laughs> So, some of you are wondering, a detective novel? <laughs> and actually, it was interesting. I've always been kind of interested in, in the detective as a character. And um, so I, so I uh, you know, did this. And what happened was I realized that you have a crime and then you have somebody who's charged with figuring it out on some level, a private investigator here, a police officer, whoever it might be. And it, it's a, a way, it's a kind of venue into the society. You can go, ha, you can have any kind of character you want. And uh, so it's a, sort of a little passport as a form. And this is basically a fairly straightforward uh, detective novel. So what I'm going to do is to just give you a sort of collage sampler with my friends pitching in and reading uh, a chapter each. Um, I'm going to start, uh, and this is, uh, this is chapter one. It's still night in LA. I should say that I had the good luck to find Kat and Peter, Three Rooms Press, who just did a fabulous job of bringing this thing, putting this thing together. Not only is it a, is a, a book with prose, but it's also got photos at the head of each chapter. And so it's sort of a two strands of my work, this sort of early artist book uh, and, and the later prose come together in this, in this piece. Um, Still Night in L.A. She was tall and striking with a face that betrayed her youth more than she probably realized. She let me into a one-bedroom, top-floor apartment at the Gaylord on Wilshire, west of Vermont. It was a windy but sunny November day, and the vista on Old Hollywood from the northern exposure went all the way to the Hollywood sign. Look, this is kind of weird, I guess. She hesitated. I've been worried. We were both standing on the wood floor in the living room, which had only a little furniture. Okay to sit down, I asked, hoping that she would sit down too. Oh my God, she said, I'm sorry, please. She indicated a chair with straw matting beside a little writing desk. How about you, I said. There was another chair and a sofa against the wall with a white bed sheet tucked in as a slipcover. I'm going to stand for a minute if that's okay. I feel better on my feet right now. She was the type of woman who would make men's eyes light up when she walked into a restaurant, but she wasn't my type for which I felt lucky. 
It's so much easier not to be attracted to your client. God has given thieves perfect eyebrows and liars alabaster arms and is distracting and dangerous. Can I get you some coffee? No thanks, I said, taking the seat. What can I do for you? That's the trouble, she said. I'm not sure. I think somebody might be trying to kill me. Oh my God, I can't believe I said that. She turned to me and let go with a five-alarm smile. It was blinding and incongruous. I recovered. I wasn't sure what was going on, but a lot of the time that comes with the territory. The trick is not to make up your mind too quickly and hope you won't be physically hurt during the interim. Well, I said, standing up more or less involuntarily as if a seated position might make me more vulnerable, as in my experience it had. I'd been hit from behind a number of times, blindsided, somebody bringing something hard down on my head. I always find in this sort of situation it helps if I can get a little history, you know, where you came from and what your family was like all the way to here. No problem. Listen, she said, do you like lasagna? Because I've got some leftovers from Spago that I can heat up in a second. I told her I was fine and pulled out my notebook and wrote Anita Holbrook at the top of a new page. I drove up to sunset when I left her apartment. The summer was over. There was a little wind. You read the seasons in LA by such nuances. I made it a hand-holding job with maybe the possibility of more than hand-holding if one wanted it and felt a little guilty about taking my weekly per diem and expenses. I stopped at a branch of my bank and made the deposit. I decided to look in on things at the Gaylord later that day without bothering my client. And now I'm going to ask my friend and colleague, Harry Northup, wonderful poet and actor. You'll recognize him in either role. Um, to read another chapter. And by way of introduction, I should say that he refers here to a guy as Charlie Sheen. And it's because he looks a lot like Charlie Sheen. He's a bartender who looks a lot like Charlie Sheen. Harry? Thank you, Arm. I thought you could handle this without a text, Amy said. I have a dentist appointment, so I'm leaving early. Remember Laura Fonseca? Sort of, I said. I'm occupied here. Sorry. You want me to go on? Sure, but quickly, please. She was this young blonde discovery of Roger Norbert's when he made April Rain, which was Val Raven's best picture, I think. Oh, yeah, the girl. She was big, and then she dropped out of sight. All right. Anyway, she called. She wants to see you. About what? Well, I don't think it's about futures and options, she said, laughing. A 30-ish a suit came into the bar. When I put my cell into my pocket and looked over at Mrs. Ryan's table, he was sitting opposite her. After a few minutes, they got up and walked out. I looked at Charlie Sheen. 
who was following their departure. When they were gone, I put a $50 bill down on the table by the Amstel light and asked who the man was. He looked at the 50 and then at me. Jesus, he said, I had you figured for some kind of studio guy. How do you know I'm not? <laughs> yeah, right, he said. He took the 50 and folded it and put it in his shirt pocket. Loving the afternoon, I guess. Steve Resta, one of the gang here. Real estate law or something. He's at the Gaylord, I said. Yeah, he said. I put a new 50 down beside the bottle. Do you happen to have her phone number? These are customers. What's going on? Probably not a hell of a lot. He took up the other 50, folded it, and put it in his pocket with the other bill. He went to look through a pile of bills by the register. 612, he said. I don't know you. <laughs> Is Marsha here? Ah, we're missing one of our readers. Okay. So let me... I'm just debating here. Phoebe McAdams, my dear friend, a wonderful poet, um, and a former resident with my wife and our family of Bellinas for many years. And in this particular chapter, we go back into Marin. Please welcome Phoebe McAdams. Chapter 39. The San Francisco Chronicle lay on the breakfast table in the light-filled, cheerful kitchen. Janet Gabriel, a transplanted Angelino who had looked to be in her late 40s or early 50s, had a decorating business with a small shop in San Anselmo. She was about to leave for work. I'm an early riser, she said. When you get to be our age, you must work or go mad. Don't you agree? I do, I said. Well, that's why Laura adores you. You're a mensch. Now, I'd like to make you a proper breakfast, but I've got an early appointment, she said, and gave me a quick international-style bus on one side of my face and then the other. When she left, I poured myself a cup of coffee and sat down with the Chronicle. No more Herb Cain. The wife of a newly elected congressman who was caught up in a sexting scandal said her estranged husband worked inhuman hours and she needed a 12-step program for internet porn, which had become his home away from home. These people are worked too hard to have normal lives, the lady told reporters in a press conference that was given front-page coverage. The cell rang. Martin Barnes here. Is that Mike? Thanks for getting back to me. Yes, well, I ran into Joe Rock last night, and he'll be at this outdoor cafe, Zima's, near the library in San Anselmo this afternoon around 2.30. Do you know where that is? I'll find it. So you're the broker, I said. I can't really say. He asked me to be there. He's checking you out, I guess. That's fine. Around 2.30 then. See you then. Oh, bring $400 in 20s and 50s. No checks. 
or money orders. <laughs> okay, and uh, I'm going to ask Michael C. Ford to read a later chapter. Um, and Michael has one of the great voices in our community. I don't know why he's not doesn't have a nighttime radio show or is constantly doing voiceovers. Anyway, here he is. My voice is the greatest illusion of all time. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a good neighborhood for this to be reading this, isn't it? A little bit north of Wilshire on Vermont, right? Perfect uh, Perfect neighborhood for this. And I must admit uh, that uh, it's the first time uh, that my name ever appeared on a dedication page in, in a book. I, 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 and uh, I'm on the same page with my musical brother, John Densmore. So thank you, Aram, for, for making life worth living. Uh, and... Uh, this is one of the later chapters. Uh, uh, the detective's uh, name is Michael Shepard. Uh, he and uh, two police detectives, Detective Axelson and Collins, are about to bust uh, a suspected perp. And uh, this is the action that uh, ensues in this chapter. For the next couple of hours, we kept him in our sights. The big house that fronted on the beach that Dr. Shane and I had passed that morning had been remodeled as a bed and breakfast in Skeet. The tattoo was the positive ID. Was staying in a room on the third floor. I knocked on the door a little before 10 that night. Axelson was down the hall. Collins was closer to me on the wall beside the door. We were going to arrest him. A minute later, with Axelson, Collins, and me all in the room and Skeet under arrest, sitting in an upholstered chair, he recognized me. Redding, right? He said. Then with one hand, he shot lighter fluid out of me, and then he extended flame, shot from his other hand, and ignited me. Every atom of energy in the focus and I leaped on him. Some thoughts came over him. I'm on fire. He set me on fire. I think I'm on fire. Maybe I'm not. He shot me with lighter fluid. He's a fucking moron. I'm going to kill him. I'm strong. He isn't so strong. I let him roll over me and even allowed that he might hold me down. He had no doubt about the outcome. Then some kinetic change happened and I was Barely making it. It was stronger than I was. Stronger than I was. I, my breath went short and harsh. I was on my left side. Skeet was pushing me down so that I'd go into my stomach. I thought, where's my backup? Somebody knock him out. Somebody kill him. I'm extremely tired. I'm about to give up. Where am I? Why didn't I shoot him? <laughs> Laura. Laura. Laura Fonseca. My right hand touched something and there was a quickened response. It was his nose. I stuck a third finger in my right hand, his nostril. He made a noise and my chest filled up with oxygen again. It's okay, Mike, Axelson said. It's okay. We got him. Eventually, my hand unclenched and I let go. I rolled away from him. We got an ambulance coming, Mike, Axelson said. 
chapter 46. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. And I'm going to end with a earlier chapter. Um, at one point, he goes up to like a human potential movement, uh, like an est place, which is where they last saw this guy that they're tracking. And uh, this scene happens late at night. Michael John Summer said, I don't know what to make of this. Can you help me out here? It was after midnight, and I had snuck into an office at the circle game, that's what it's called, after we'd been dismissed for the night. John, I said, sitting on the floor with the file drawer open between my legs, I think I can be straight with you about this, although it embarrasses me to be in this situation. When he'd taken my application over the phone, I'd puzzled a moment after he'd asked me what I did and then told him I was a writer-producer. He'd asked me at dinner what I was working on, and I said, a true crime movie, information he took in with a kind of proprietary pride, I thought. Until I've heard something, he said, I've got a pretty harsh procedure facing us both now. I call security and all hell breaks loose. My advice to you is to get real, fast. Thank you, I said, having learned that day that in accepting a bad situation, one begins to overcome it. Look, John, I said, you know, the business I'm in is highly competitive and sometimes the truth can get shoved aside in the interests of the almighty dollar. But I've been trying to follow this thing out so that it doesn't turn into just another 60s bashing bonanza. You know, Manson's getting married, but most of the good guys are off the planet, and we've just about bottomed out. And I just want to make sure there isn't something I'm missing here. I paused for a breath. I don't know what you're talking about, he said from the door. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't heard from some of my other colleagues about this, I said. I mean, people in the business, although frankly it doesn't surprise me, I said, because with all the elements in place, why do more homework? He was shaking his head from side to side as if he regretted what he was obliged to do. I knew it would involve being arrested, hauled off to some half-empty local processing tank, and an emergency call to Axelson that would blow my cover. Look, John, I said, a performance artist poet named Skeet is wanted in connection with two murders, including the murder of Val Raven. I'm sure you know that. His face changed. Well, Jesus, John Summer said. Why didn't you say so? I almost brought that up to you at dinner. I would have if the others hadn't been there because we can't have this kind of thing circulating at our seminars. Look, he said, we both know there's an HBO miniseries here. <laughs> I saw that immediately, but I, he sighed. I just don't have the connections. <laughs> but this isn't the way to go about these things, he said. You've broken laws. <laughs> Thank you.
I don't know if you you want to have a Q and A or yes, James. Cool. So can you talk a little bit more about the? Uh, I think you told me there were cell phone photos. Yes, uh, you know I had this manuscript and I was uh, toying around with it and looking at it over and over again and. What happened was that original length was about three times what it what eventually what it eventually came in, uh, came in as, and I decided, well, hell, maybe I should uh, throw in some of these photos that I've been taking all over Los Angeles, and I put one at the head of each uh, chapter, and somehow it contributes to the the mood. I think it came out well. They did a great layout. So, yes. The title was the inspiration of uh, Peter and Cat and Three Rooms Press. I had originally called it the Still of the Night, which has a lot of echoes. And the first thing Peter said when uh, he talked to me, he said, "Well, we want to change the title to Still Night in L.A." And I thought, "Wow." <laughs> that's great. So uh, that's how that happened. It actually resonates, I think, better with the whole uh, story than the original title. This cover photo is beautiful. Who did that? Now that's by my our son Armanok, and that's a real photograph, not with a bad cell phone. Uh, he, he's a fantastic photographer. Hmm. Any other technical questions? <laughs> yes. So many detective novels being written, especially in LA. What made you want to take it on? What did you think you could bring it? Well, I, I was always interested in the character of the detective, and then, but you know, when you have a detective novel, it has to be plot driven, and I usually don't do that kind of thing, you know. And so it was a push-pull thing of like, well, I got to move it forward, and yet I've got to have a little bit of this guy's personality, and so it was just. So finally, it achieved whatever it achieved. Uh, one thing that I saw, Arm, in this, just here in these few chapters, was the restraint that you use. It really created the not only. Oh, thank you, Harry. You know, it's funny. You, you try to figure out like what actually brings a scene to life, and a lot of times it's cutting rather than adding. You know. Uh, uh, the best thing that can happen is the thing comes to life. And a lot of times that doesn't have anything to do with a beautiful sentence. You know? So that a lot of that happened with this for me. Yeah. Did you find it hard to cut two thirds out? No, because I was so bored with it that I <laughs> get rid of this. <laughs> Yeah. What kind of stuff did you cut out of it? Yeah. Did you cut sentences? Or did you cut uh, chunks of the story? Or? Yeah, I would cut... I would, well, obviously would have to do... have some sentences and paragraphs, but a lot of times it was... 
background stuff that really didn't move it along and that didn't... Uh, I mean, you know, when you have a character, you have two people in a room or something like that, then there's a little bit of sparks flying. But then, you know, a lot of times the detective implodes and he goes through stories and so on, and that doesn't really advance it. Uh, so that that's what I think mostly I was cutting back on, you know, thinking at first, because I'd written more contemplative stuff, well, this is what I do. You know, and it really didn't work that well. Did you read detective fiction? I read Chandler, uh, Ross McDonald, and Hammett, and a couple of other people, but I'm not really into it as a genre. Uh, I was just interested in, I remember, I, I was working at, uh, at USC for years with uh, Cubby Selby, uh, Hubert Selby Jr. And I once said to him, I said, you know, I really want to, I want to write a detective novel. And he said, oh, I've always wanted to write a detective novel. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great encouragement. Anybody? All right, so we could sign some books or? Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.